All right, all right. So we, uh, we're in the book of Malachi, obviously. And I'll just have to say, man, Malachi going hard. Um, but it's God's word and it has something to speak to us today. So I'm just, I'm just excited to, to be here with you all this morning and excited to, to dig into God's word. You know, one of the things that is uh, most common about our culture today is it just feel, feels like there's a lot of judgment going on, right? And it is, a, it is from all parties. Everybody is, is saying harsh things about everyone else. Everyone is pointing the finger at the other group, whomever the other group is. Now, there's, there's an agreement, and I think there has been agreement from since humanity has been here that there is a problem. But the problem is always because of somebody else. The problem is always because of this other group or what they will say or what they didn't do. And the question that the text poses today is where do we start when we point the finger? Because everybody's realizing something ain't right. Who, whose fault is it? Where do, who do we start with? And the answer from this text is with ourselves. We don't simply point the finger at someone else or some other group, or what they said or did not do. It must start with us. So, Lord, would you help us to understand this text today, to learn and to walk in obedience? In Jesus' name. So starting out in chapter 2, verse 17, we see people accusing God of injustice. People are accusing God of injustice. Look at verse 17. It says, you have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you ask, how have we wearied him? When you say everyone who does what is evil is good in the Lord's sight, and he is delighted with them, or else where is the God of justice? So in the middle of this book, as God is addressing them about their own sins, they are accusing God of not being a good judge. They're saying, well, if you look at the world, what must be true is that God likes people who would sin and oppress others because I don't see them getting any judgment. I see them prospering. So what must be true is that either either you don't care or you are not aware. Now, listen, when people do not see God's justice immediately, when we don't see him working immediately, then we accuse him of doing evil. And that is exactly what's going on in this text. Now, here's something that we need to understand is that that actually is a common thought. In our most honest moments, if we just being real, we are wondering, God, where are you? Are you who you say you are? I'm following you. It don't look like it's going well, but look, they ain't even following you like it's going well for them. In fact, it's so common that we see this repeatedly uh, through the Psalms. Like this is, this is in Psalm 73. It says, but as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray for I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. That whole Psalm is about like, why am I following you? I'm not doing well, but everybody else who ain't following you seems to be doing well. So, so are you who you say you are? Do you care about justice as you say you do? Do you see all things as it says you do in the scripture? See, the fact is we want justice quickly because we intuitively know that God is just. So it's confusing when we don't see it. And if you ever ask yourself, am I a person who wants justice quickly? What do you do when you're wrong? 
you oh yeah whatever <laughs> when you are wrong you about you like hey you better get them they've been messing with me you better get that we all want justice quickly because we 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 have this inner witness of the law in our hearts we we intuit like i, I love this a lot of times people think people don't do what's right because they don't know is that true y'all no, that ain't true. We all we all really know that there's a right and a wrong. And so when the wrong is transgressed, especially when it's against us, we're like, y'all need somebody, God, whoever, you need to fix this. We think, what about the folks who are getting away with it? What about the folks who are doing this and that? See, either he doesn't have power, we think, or maybe he's not who he says he is. But see, in reality... The people who are accusing God of injustice are not ready for God's justice because it will come on them as well. They are calling down for God to punish people and address issues when they themselves has issues. And so if God is going to come with judgment, everybody getting judged. And so it's like, man, hold on before you accuse me of doing wrong. See, one of the reasons that God is patient in judgment, listen, is because he has compassion on us. He's patient in judgment because he has compassion. Listen to Romans 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, do you think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? See, the same thing is going on in Romans 2. They're like, look, look at them, look at them, look at them, look at all they're doing. And, and, and the Lord's like, you. But in verse 4, it says, the riches of his kindness, get it, restraint and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness, his kindness expressed through his patience, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. So when you see people that look like they're prospering, even though they're doing what is wrong, it should be a reminder of God's grace to you. That you don't get immediately judged when you do something wrong. God is being patient, showing restraint, not just to do it, but he's given us repent. He's given us time to come to our own senses. See, we need to understand the personal implications of desiring God's justice. It's real easy to be a prosecutor. It's harder to be a defendant. It's real easy to, to come up with a case for somebody else. It's harder to come up with a case of defense for yourself. And here's, here's what's interesting. The church and the world often share in harsh judgment, usually towards one another. I'm sure y'all heard, well, the church don't be doing da 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 And then the church be saying, well, them people in the world don't be doing da 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 Like everybody's being harsh in judgment. No, there's no one group or no one section that owns cancel culture. We all try to cancel one another. But nobody really wants to be cons have consistent standards held against themselves. If we are going to hold people accountable, that's a double-edged sword, and it will come to us as well. And so God's saying to these people that are saying, where is your justice? He's saying, I'm being patient with you. You're not ready. And I'm trying to give you time so that you can get ready. Not only that, God will send a messenger 
to get them ready for his justice. Look at Malachi 3, verse 1. It says, see, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. See, the Lord has to send a messenger to get them ready for his coming because they ain't ready. They're like, where you at? He's like, look, if I came up right now, it would not go well for you. You need to chill out for a minute. Listen, listen, listen. In other words, you're not ready for my judgment. I need to, to send someone to get you ready. In other words, like you need to get your mind right. You know, when someone important is going to be somewhere, say, say like someone who was in the office of the president is going to be at a public place. Do you understand that the Secret Service goes like the day before and to make sure everything is in proper order? They get the situation right to make sure ain't nobody that ain't supposed to be there. They scope it out. They, if, if someone important is going to come somewhere, then there's a delegation sent before he gets there to make sure that it's ready. God says, if we want him to come in justice, we have to get ready. So what does that, what does that mean? How, do you, how does one get ready? Now, here's the cool thing. A lot of times when you read the Old Testament, you'll be like, now, who is this talking about? Is it talking about Jesus? Is it talking about somebody? Look, Jesus tells us exactly who this verse is talking about in Matthew eleven ten. The messenger in this verse is John the Baptist. That's his quoted. Jesus said, hey, that verse that y'all read, John the Baptist is the one fulfilling it. And John the Baptist came to preach a message of repentance. Now, repentance is, is, is me realizing that my ways are wrong, acknowledging that God's ways are right, and that I want to follow him. So in other words, if we want God to come near us, the preparation that's required is a preparation of repentance. And y'all, repentance starts with us. Repentance starts with me. God, examine me. What, what ways am, am I not following you? What ways am I being harsh in judgment? Lord, start with me. Even if you, one of the things he was doing, he was called John the Baptist, which means he did what? He was baptizing folk, right? Uh, that's, like, that's like that's how he got his name. So one of the when, when people were coming to get baptized, they were recognizing their need for repentance. It's like they were saying, "I'm dirty, I'm dirty before the Lord. I need to be cleansed. I, I need to to be clean. So I'm I'm coming in. I want to be washed." And fundamentally, this is what Christian baptism means. That. Each of us as individuals have to decide, have to come and say, do I want to follow Jesus? Do, do, I, do I need to repent? Am I going to say no to the old way and say, I'm going to follow you? Even right now, our church is in this, this season of, of Lent. It's this, this time where we're, we're thinking about uh, Easter, but we're remembering that our Lord suffered. And it's a season of repentance that we are spending in prayer, fasting, and in giving. So he says, that's the preparation you need. The preparation you need is you need to know that you have to own repentance. That the Lord is going to come near. And so then it says, the messenger of the Lord will come to his temple. Now, you see, if you look at verse one, there's two messengers. There's this messenger that's going to prepare. And then there's this messenger that's going to come after the one who prepares. Now, listen, we understand what the New Testament says. The messenger who is coming to prepare is John the Baptist. Now, who is he preparing the way for? Jesus. He's preparing a way for Jesus. So that this messenger of the covenant, is, and he is the one who will fulfill God's promises, including judgment. And the scripture says that he will come suddenly and unexpectedly. Did that not happen in the incarnation? Ain't nobody expect him to come like a baby. Ain't no, nobody expect him to be born of a virgin. 
in a manger, but no, the messenger that the Lord would send, the powerful one who would set things right, the one who would judge the nations and forgive us our sins, came as a helpless baby to save us. But here's the deal. Remember, the verse started, they're like, God, you ain't really just because you ain't come and judge nobody. And God says, you don't really want me to do that. <laughs> you sure? And then he says, as you go in verse two, he says, you ain't going to like it when I come no way. Look at verse two. It says, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who is able to stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's bleach. The point of the matter is this. Now, in a refiner's fire, you have some gold, but it has impurities, right? So you heat it up and you get the impurities out. And y'all know what bleach do. You know, <laughs> it cleans stuff, right? And he's saying, listen, listen, the people will not like the messenger of the Lord, who is Jesus, because of his aim. I don't want you to, like, Jesus didn't get crucified because he was nice to people. He didn't get crucified because he was healing people. That's not, no, no, he got crucified because of what he said. And what he said is he was calling people to purity. Particularly, he was calling people who were living in hypocrisy, the religious leaders of his day, who were pointing the finger at everybody else. But just like the people in this passage, they were not applying the same, same standards to themselves. They killed him because he called out their hypocrisy and said, you need more than just outward works of purity. You need purity within the heart. Now, here's the deal. I, I have never, like, refined something in a fire, but I have cleaned with bleach sometimes. Now, you don't usually let kids clean with bleach, right? Why? You don't want them to get hurt. Now, listen, I, I, I imagine that if I'm trying to forge something in a fire, I have the possibility of getting hurt. The point of the matter is that purification, repentance, holiness, it hurts. It hurts. See, he speaks and acts this way because he wants them to be pure. But if someone wants to get healed, they must first be humble. You don't go to the doctor and tell them what to do. <laughs> you're like, I need this type of, no, no. You're like, hey, I don't actually have the expertise in this area. Can you inform me? It requires a level of humility. And as we said, purification is, is dangerous work. Now, here's, here's the deal. Jesus came near in order that we would be pure and beloved. He got hurt in that endeavor. Yeah? Yeah, Jesus died in his efforts to purify his people because he, look, he could have just said, well, I'm gonna just bring the judgment. It is what it is. But he said, no, I want you to be ready. I want you to be pure. I want you to be prepared. And in order for that to happen, I am going to die on the cross. In fact, his death and resurrection, that is the means of our purification is the means of our holiness. So even though, listen, listen, if anybody is going to be lifted up by the gospel, they first have to be crushed by God's law. The, the prerequisite of coming to Jesus is saying, I'm a sinner, yeah? So, like, so the prerequisite is that you would be humbled, that you would feel the weight of God's law and the fact that you don't meet it and that you need somebody to help you. And this Jesus came close enough in his efforts to help us that he died on a cross for our sins in our place. And here's a beautiful thing. According to Malachi, he is, it's not just he may purify them. He 
has the opportunity. No, he will purify his people. Look at verse three. He will come to be a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Get this. Then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in the days of old and years gone by. See, he says, I'm going to purify Levi. Like, what does that mean? We talked about this in a couple of sermons past, but Levi is, is the priesthood. Basically, God's saying, I want people who would accurately represent me to others. In order for them to represent me to others, I actually have to purify them. And I am going to purify them so that they will accurately represent me. And listen, Jesus Christ presently, present tense, y'all, purifies his people. Look, if you belong to Jesus, he is working on you. If you call on his name, he is going to partner with you in your own purity. It's, it, I want you all to understand this. It's not even the, like the, the first cause of your purity is not you, it's him. The engine driving your sanctification is him. This is hope for those who feel beat down and struck down by their own sins. And they're like, am I ever going to overcome this? No, you keep calling on his name because he has taken responsibility to purify his people. Did it say you will? No, it said he will. He will. And how does he do that? How does Jesus Christ purify his people? Beloved, he purifies his people through his word. He purifies his, his people through when we come together and hear his word preached, when we take communion, when we observe baptism, these, these things remind us of what he's done. He purifies us through one another. When we can speak words of encouragement to one another and even call one another, another out, that's Jesus purifying his people. And beloved, he purifies us through his providence, through his sovereignty. Sometimes we're going through stuff and it's hard and we're like, doggone it. Why? This is really hard. Now, according to this scripture, does purification hurt? Yeah, I mean, fire and bleach, y'all. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it hurt. So even Jesus orchestrates our life so that even in the hard circumstances, he's doing that hard, painful work of purification. Beloved, he will complete what he started. And he says he will change them so that they can do works that please him. That's what he said. Listen, when even though sanctification, are, sometimes I read the scripture and it's hard, y'all. Sometimes it cuts me because I'm wrong. Sometimes people people say things to me and they call me out of my own sin. I'm like, oh, but sometimes I'm going through things in my life. and I'm like, this is really hard. But beloved, all that work, all that work that Jesus is doing through those means is to purify me so that I would offer righteous and holy praises to him with my lips. What's interesting is in, in verse four, it says, it says, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in the days of old and years going by. What does that mean? Listen, when the people of Israel were freed from their slavery, delivered through uh, uh, the Red Sea, the scripture reports that they praised and they sang. Listen, when you realize what God has done for you, how he has delivered you from the slavery of sin, you go, man, God is good. Praise God. Listen, here's the deal. The point of the matter is this. Even when, when two people are in a relationship, I feel like over time, the novelty can wear off. Yeah? The novelty can wear off and, and you find yourself not appreciating what you once did. And, and the Lord's saying, no, no, no. I'm going to purify you in such a way 
that every day you would remember the gospel of God's grace that you have been delivered. I don't care if it was yesterday, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I, listen, I want you to remember it like it's fresh, like you just got delivered. Because those who remember their deliverance are the ones who would praise. In verse 5, he, he finally gets to the answer to their question, right? They started, hey, you going to judge people, God? And God's like, you sure you want me to do that? And in verse 5, it says, I will come to you in judgment, and I will bring to witness against sorcerers, adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker, the widow, and the fatherless, and against those who deny justice to the resident alien. They do not fear me, says the Lord of armies. So basically, we're, we're left with two options. And here's the real part of it. Each option actually causes a little bit of pain. You can be, you can be purified by Jesus, and that's painful. Or you can be judged by Jesus, which I think is more. It's more painful. You can choose the pain of purification or the pain of judgment. One thing I'd like to note in this passage is, is we don't, we, we don't, there's no division between sins that we think are personal and sins that affect others. I guess you can be a sorcerer in your backyard. I don't know. I don't know no sorcerers. But the fact of the matter is, if you oppress hired workers, if, if you oppress those who don't have parents, look, that's social. We put this false divide between individual and social sins, and the Lord condemns them both. In fact, he wants us to see the social implications of our sin because God cares for people, particularly those who are oppressed. He cute. That's my son. So listen, in that last, the last bit of verse, he says, he says, I'm against those who oppress the hired worker, the widow, the fatherless, and those who deny justice to the, to the, to the resident alien. God has a particular concern. For people who are oppressed. Listen, you're like, who was oppressed? In the Psalms and in the prophets, there's usually four categories. And one theologian called them the quartet of the downtrodden. Basically, those who are impoverished, those who are widows, they have, have uh, so like in that culture, if you were a widow, you didn't have a social safety net. Those who are fatherless, those who, who might have been uh, abandoned or maybe something happened to their parents. And the immigrant, the refugee. I just want to pause here for a minute because, listen, if we want to be people that follow the book, if we want to be people that, that submit to the scriptures, then we have to be people who would say this and honor this and serve those who are in those categories. Because God deeply cares about the oppressed. And the reality, here's the reality. If you are a Christian and you have been saved, you were spiritually poor and God gave you riches. You didn't have any safety nets, and God gave you a safety net. You did not have a heavenly father, and Jesus gave you one. You did not belong to the citizenship of heaven, and through Jesus, you now do. If these things are true, how we live demonstrates if we understand if that's true. The idea that people have to just pull themselves up by their bootstraps. It's spiritually untrue because that's not what Jesus said to us. He didn't say, fix yourself. He said, I'm going to fix you. And as people who have been saved by him, we take that 
same ethos and say, who needs help? Let's go help those who need help because I have been helped when I was helpless by Jesus. And in that final verse, we see that God's character is consistent. And verse six says, because I, the Lord, has not changed, you descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. Basically, he's like, listen, y'all asking me if I'm going to judge them other people. It, listen, I made a covenant with y'all, but y'all been tripping so hard. I should judge y'all, but I've made a covenant and a promise to you. I'm not going to put this final judgment on you because I have made a promise to deliver you. Beloved, that is true for all of us. All of us at different points in our lives and at different points of the day do things that deserve God's judgment. And why doesn't he do it? Because he's made a promise to us through Christ Jesus that he wouldn't do it. That our punishment, our sins have been put on Christ. And he is consistent. And when he says he will save somebody, he is going to do it. He will not stop being faithful to his people. Now, beloved, we, 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 we live in the second coming of Christ. And we all have opportunity in this decision. Will we embrace the pain of repentance that does yield good fruit? Or we will, will we delay and get the pain of judgment? All of us have to make that decision, have to make that choice. Now, I want to, I want to, can I, can I teach y'all something? I need to break something down for you. Can I break something down? I'm going to break something down. I'm going to break something down. I'm going to break two things down. Like, what do we do in response to this passage? The first thing, the first thing is that we have to consistently present ourselves to the Lord in prayer and ask him to examine us. Listen, if they were ignorant enough to ask the question, does God have justice? That means they wasn't paying attention to themselves. Yeah. They were, they were looking at everybody else, but they weren't looking at their own heart. Look, when we have times of prayer, when we sit with the Lord, when we say, Lord, where are the areas in my own life where I am not following you? Where are the areas where, where, where maybe I'm playing games? Where are the areas where I will be quick to point the finger at somebody else, but I myself am doing the same? We all have to have that consistent time. And here's the craziest thing. Listen, as a pastor, I want to do everything I can for your spiritual growth. But there are some things I can't do for you. I can't make you pray. I can't make you examine yourself. I can encourage it. But I so want the Lord to work in y'all's lives that you would take personal responsibility and say, no, I need to carve out time for the Lord. I don't know what that looks like in your schedule. Maybe it's in the morning. Maybe it's at night. I don't know. But I need to spend time with the Lord so that he can work on me, so that he can say, hey, these are the areas in your heart. I need to read the word so the word would, that he would speak to me through the word. Listen, I want that for you because I want you to experience the joy of repentance. It's painful, but on the other side, there is joy in obedience. And one last thing. I'm going to need to explain something. Can I explain something? I'm going to explain something. So you, you remember in the scripture how he indicated that he cared about justice, yeah? He cared about the oppressed not being taken advantage of. That is popular language for today, but I feel like people who talk about that don't understand the implications. When we think about justice, I feel like the only thing we think about is like typing something on Facebook. 
when we think about justice, we think, well, I said it, and then that's all I, no. No, 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 listen, if there are systematic issues, then does it not require a systematic response? Listen, people don't, don't, are not in oppressed situations because of one thing. It's because a lot of different things are working together against them. And if we are going to be people who, according to our mission as a church, one of the things we do is pursue justice, that means more than just saying it. What, but what does that mean? Let me tell you what this means. When there are particular issues that we see in our community, we have to band together, work together to address them. And a lot of times that does not look particularly awesome and you don't get a bunch of likes for it. I'll give you a really small example. As a church, we say, hey, we want to be uh, for and care about those uh, who might be in the foster care system. So one of the very tangible ways that we do that is we uh, let uh, foster care visits happen in our Sunday school rooms. All right, throughout the week, there are people, uh, there there are uh, children and their biological parents that get to meet together. And so some people in our church say, you know what, we should make that room really nice. And so they painted it and they put up new light fixtures. Look. Y'all think this born. I'm telling you, this justice. They painted it, put new light fixtures, put new furniture so that they could feel welcome and they have a place to meet. The reason I'm telling you this is because, listen, when you think justice, you think I said something really cool and everybody thinks it's cool. And I'm telling you that the work of justice is regular and intentional, sometimes unseen work. Listen, look, look, one of the things that we do, this is, this, this is, I just want you to understand the simpleness of it. So we want to be a place where people can and, 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 and help themselves and want to receive help. So we have a, a computer lab in there and we have a benevolence team. And I've seen those things work in conjunction. We have people on that benevolence team that when people come with requests, they'll meet with people. They'll talk to, with them about their finances. They'll use the computer to help them with resumes or various certifications. But I'm telling you, that is not, people ain't liking that on Facebook. That's regular nitty gritty work. But if we are going to be about the work of justice, that's the tangible work that we do. I'll give you one more. Listen, you know, we're having this time of, of Lent. So we're, we're saying, I want y'all to pray and, and I want y'all to fast and I want y'all to give. And understand that not coming to the church, we're giving it away and we're giving it away to two institutions. The first one we're giving away to is uh, the Carolina High School Athletics. And you're like, well, what does that have to do with justice? I'm going to tell you what it has to do with justice. Schools, particularly athletics programs, get money from booster clubs. They get money from parents that have surplus money to give to it. We live in a community where not ever, everybody don't got surplus money to give to the athletics program. And so, listen, I've talked to the coaches. They do not have the equipment they need sometimes. It, it's not like Greenville High over there. Carolina don't have everything that Greenville High has. And if we want to be about pursuing justice, then we're going to give money that, that the excess money that our community doesn't have, we're going to raise it and give it to that program so that, that those kids can have the things they need. Listen, I'm just telling you, if we're going to be about the work of justice, it's not always like a picture is being taken. It's regular grunt work. The other, the other institution that we're given to is the Julie Valentine Center. It's right down the street. They work with uh, victims of abuse, victims of trafficking. They have the people who have trauma. Those are people whom I think would be in the category of oppressed. 
And they called, they, I talked to, to them and they were like, listen, we, because of COVID, we do not have the money that we would have and we need help. So what, why are we raising money? So we can give it to them so that they can continue to serve those who are abused and trafficked. Again, I'm reiterating, if we want to be about justice, it, we don't just say it. So let me, just, let me just say one more frustration. So many people who are hating on other people for not doing justice don't do nothing. They don't. You tweeting is not justice. But you contributing to sometimes complex institutions and complex initiatives that might look as little as you painting a wall, that can be contributing to justice. Plan, y'all. So in this preparation for God's coming, in this preparation for God's judgment, what is incumbent on us, Christians, is that we would say, Lord, examine us. Areas where we're falling short. Where are the responsibilities that we're not meeting? And Lord, would you do the hard work of purification in us so that we can serve and bless those around us? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your mercy for your kindness, you are holy, you are good, you are righteous, your standards are good. Lord, I'm asking that you would examine all of our hearts, that we would walk in repentance. Lord God, that, that we would be soft when your word is spoken, that, that we would be soft to the encouragement and to the accountability of others, and that we would see you working through providence. And Lord, you would give us your heart, the heart for those who are hurting, the heart for those who are oppressed, because you helped us when we were under the oppression of sin and Satan. So let us be imitators of you, Lord God. Lord, we bless you. To glory of the Father, in the name of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.